You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Anyone can become an agent of innovation. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Eric, you're just back from inside ETFs in Florida. What, what is that again? Uh, you know, it's the biggest ETF conference. Uh, I think around 2,500 people go from the industry. It's in Hollywood, Florida. So it's always like nice weather in February. Uh, and you got all kinds of people, you know, everybody from like Vanguard and BlackRock, right, to small issuers, to index makers, to the back office, to advisors. Uh, and they all just Big meet. trade show. Big trade show. It's, you know, again, I, I, like last year, I called it the Comic-Con of ETFs. So last year, you took your microphone and we did a little episode. And this year, it was a real. Last year, it was fun. I liked that one. So we wanted to do it again. Yeah, no, I think it's good. It's just little, little uh, sound bites. And when I'm walking around, I'm busy, but I can get somebody for five minutes or less. And it's a, just a convenient way for me to get sw- take a swab and try to uh, you know give you a little taste of what what you missed. That's nice. I like that. What's the, what was the the theme of the petri dish this year? Um, you know, again, ESG is relentless. The issuers are very excited about it. We'll go over that in a minute. Um, I don't know how much the uh, actual investors like it, but um, issuers are into ESG. There was some still like I guess a little hangover from XIV implosion and whether these exotic products are suitable. Um, and that was also, like a year ago, right? That was a year ago. But there's still now there's down there's defined outcome ETFs. There's still a lot of I don't know, like power tool type products coming out. Um and then there was uh, I think a lot of thematic uh was a big one because again, there's been some good money into theme ETFs. So that's where a lot of the smaller time people are excited, you know. And we have a couple clips of, clips of people with, you know, basically an index idea and a dream and they go to this event to try to hook up with an issuer. Oh, by the way, since last year Trillions was brand new while you were at Inside ETFs, what did people have to say this time? Um, so last year, not so much, maybe one or two people. This year, a lot more. I think, you know, obviously issuers will take notice because they want to come on and promote stuff. So I'm not taking all of it. <laughs> it's not all going to my head. But there was some one guy in particular stopped me and said, listen, I just was moved over to the ETF team at this big company and um, I didn't know a lot. And I sort of listened to your podcast and I got to tell you, like, I was not happy about being moved, but like your podcast really made it accessible, fun. I understand it better. And now I even got my wife into it and, you know, she, we both really love the R2 Dads episode, which continues to resonate. Um, And that was really great. That was the one that stuck out. And I was just like, to get like that kind of heartfelt compliment about it was nice. I got to tell you. So, because we work hard on this. So we try, we try. This time on Trillions. Comic-Con of ETFs, round two. All right, so you went around inside ETFs with the microphone, sticking it in people's faces. Who are we going to hear from first? Uh, first is Ben Johnson from Morningstar. Now, we heard from him last, last year. Last year, yeah. He is my peer, kind of my competitor, but he's very articulate. And um, I just asked him about a, a couple of the bigger sort of themes that were being buzzed at, at the conference. The first one is on what the, one of the main presentations was on was what comes after the ETF. The ETF disrupted the mutual fund. What's going to disrupt the ETF? And Dave, Nate, Nodig, and Matt Hogan speculated that the disruptor would be something called direct indexing, where you just basically 
fill out some form and you get a basket of stocks Ooh. that's right to your liking. Because the ETF is sort of like you have to take what's there. Right. But Ben is skeptical. Here's what he has to say. So direct indexing is an approach to creating portfolios that treats everyone as the unique snowflake that they are. It creates a very specific portfolio to meet their very specific needs, which in theory is a great concept. It's an interesting concept, but I think in reality, it has the potential to walk back a lot of the progress that investors have made over the course of the past four plus decades, driving towards ever lower fees, ever greater transparency, less complexity across the board, and fundamentally lower costs. So to the extent that you take this wonderful wrapper, the ETF, that we've all come down here to Florida to worship to for every year for 10 plus years now, I, I think it could actually be detrimental to investors. That was a rain cloud. Well, on their presentation, he was sort of saying, don't, you know, the ETF's going nowhere. I, I know what he's saying. Look, you can get an ETF now for four or five. The whole, you get a whole portfolio. The world's cheapest ETF portfolio is now five basis points. That was another presentation. That's an amazing thing. Direct indexing would cost more. The selling and buying of the stocks would create potentially capital gains, which get uh, are eliminated because of the creation redemption uh, mechanism in the ETF. I agree with them. I, you know what Ben was saying, and and I agree is the mass customization is your portfolio using ETFs. The the fact that you can get anything in the world now. He equated it to going to Chipotle and like picking out all your ingredients. The ingredients are the ETFs. What Dave and Matt were kind of saying was like, maybe you want to like really get specific about the pork, and maybe you want it from a certain you know distributor with a certain uh, every ingredient of that particular ingredient would be your uh, customized to you. I don't even think people care that much about mm-hmm. that level of detail. I think an ESG that is maybe where they want that kind of customization uh, because it is so personal. But I think for your portfolio, I mean, look, a total market, a total bond, I think most people were just fine with that. Isn't it interesting, though, how the word direct has a little bit of buzz to it? Because, you know, in, in IPO land, which is what you have historically done to go public, Spotify last year did this direct listing thing and basically said, we don't need this IPO and cuts out a bunch of fees and everything else. And, and it's a little similar in that it harnesses the fact that at this day and age, people can just take things to marketplaces with a different vibe than they've previously been able to. Yeah, there's just, you know, the fact that these ETFs are on an exchange, you can trade them, they're regulated by the SEC, uh, they're in a pretty prospectus wrapping. A lot of that officialness and liquidity is don't, it's going to take a long time for that to go away. But Matt and Dave are as sharp as they get. And, you know, you got to, their presentation's always uh, provocative and it was again this year. So it's food for thought. Okay, now we're going to hear from the legendary Paul Tudor Jones, who I, um, he spoke. And then wait, wait, I, Paul Tudor Jones, the hedge fund manager, yeah. Paul Tudor Jones. You yeah. got Paul Tudor Jones? Yeah, he was up there presenting on ESG. He is all in on this. His company has built an index that a Goldman Sachs ETF tra- tracks with the ticker just. And what I found interesting about his presentation was he doesn't do ESG like a lot of the funds. And a lot of the funds have their own special way of ESG. So I asked him about how he kind of puts worker compensation above climate issues, which most ESG might not do that. And that's why Exxon lands in his ETF just, which a lot of people would be shocked that Exxon's in your ETF. He justifies why. Oh, and by the way, if you hear some dishes in the background, I after his presentation, I went backstage and uh, we had to go into the kitchen area. So it could be a little uh, clangy back there. So just FYI. <laughs> hey, man, I'm working hard for the team here.
The biggest difference between us and other ESG is we have no negative screening. So we listen to the American public. The American public says climate change is really important. But you know what? Someone making a living wage, having a, being treated well, having a decent income is two and a half times as important as climate change. And so, again, what we do is we listen to the American public. And just because someone doesn't score great on climate change isn't a reason to exclude them from other things they may be doing great. Uh, Exxon's a great example. Exxon has the third highest pay uh, in the oil and gas industry, in the energy sector, has the third, and they have 10-year track record of the greatest gender equity screening so that they're making sure they have a diverse, pro, uh, diverse workforce, both on race and gender, of virtually anyone in that whole sector. So it's not just about one event it's about, or, or one factor. It's about multiple factors, and that's why this is such a great ETF. So I hadn't heard about Just. Uh, what's your take on it uh, when you look at what its holdings are? I, well, look, I agree with him. I, I do think workers' compensation, quality of life, he basically showed a chart of what people think is most important from companies, and that's how he designed it. And p- the public is more concerned about workers' compensation and treating people nicely than they are about the climate right now. So he's basically doing it, structuring it that way. And I got to tell you, this guy was very convincing. Um, that's why he's probably such a success. The guy next to me who sat down, um, he goes, I got to be honest, I was, I was pretty skeptical, but he kind of sold me on this. And um, I told him that afterwards. He was pretty pleased by that. But just as uh, off to a good start, I think it's about $250 million. That probably ranks it in top seven biggest ESG ETFs already. But he's ambitious. He wants this to be you know, a huge ETF, billions of dollars. Uh, he's pretty aggressive, grassroots sounding. For you know, tr- He wants to take the fight to the C-suite, make them hear people. And he thinks that you know, you're, by investing in that way, that's the best way to send them a message. And Exxon is not uh, one that you would maybe expect to have in an ESG <laughs> lens, right? Yes, and that is why I find it so interesting. What else is in there? I, you know, it's a lot of the tech stocks. Like I, I looked at it recently. I think it's like uh, Google's in there. Um, you've got um, Apple. Most of them are ones you tend to see. But again, Exxon sort of you know sticks out like a sore thumb. But he just you know that he's he, it's in there for a reason, according to him. going to hear from next. Okay, next is Perth Toll. She is one of these people who has an index and a dream. So she was there, uh, you know, to do a lot of networking, and she just landed a deal to get her index uh, with an actual ETF, and she found her first, like, anchor tenant or client, like Seed Capital. And so she talked a little bit about what, what this new ETF will do. So she had the idea for an index, and yes. now she has to go around finding, how do I get a wrapper for this? Yeah, her index is, is Freedom Weighted Emerging Markets. Yeah, so we are, instead of market cap weighting the emerging markets, we freedom weight the emerging markets, which means we're looking at 79 different freedom variables and getting a um, composite country score, and using that country score, um, that freedom level, to weight and select countries. So our country weights and country selection comes from freedom weights in those countries, and that freedom weight comes from um, three different categories of freedoms, the rights of life, the rights of liberty, and the rights to property. And what made you think of this? So I grew up in China, and uh, I grew up, you know, half in China, half in the U.S., and I saw some things uh, when I went back to, you know, live in Hong Kong and traveled a lot to mainland China over that time um, that made me realize that freedom was important for a market, and um, I saw the difference between the mainland Chinese market and the Hong Kong market and, you know, frankly, the U.S. market, and just uh, noticed that freedom 
has a huge impact on markets. So it's a fascinating idea that that markets are better off when they're free, right? And that there's different types of freedom that she's come up with. How do you think that's going to work in an ETF? Uh, we're we're going to have to see. She, you know, she's basing it on the the more freedom, the more democracy, uh, the better your capital markets do. So, look, the performance will probably drive most of the flows here. But I just love that this is. I love this part of the ETF industry where somebody who has a real life experience that's you know cross borders comes here and turns it into an actionable idea. It's very Silicon Valley esque, right. and you know you don't get these kind of stories at the big issuers very much. Uh, so there's a lot of these small. Indies, I call them, who are just on the grassroots with an you know an idea, looking to get it going, and you know a couple of them will will become hits. So, say you got like China, Mexico, Nigeria, Poland. How do you put all those together? Well, clearly, look, most emerging markets ETFs are like twenty to thirty percent China. This will be something else. There are some fundamentally weighted emerging markets ETFs, and or. Uh, that do it different ways where China is a lower weight. Um, So I would imagine it would look something more like that. And so you'd probably be looking at if one of the countries that wasn't China did really well, you would do better. My guess is this thing kind of fluctuates in performance and it probably will catch some people if it has a good run. But I do think that it's an ESG uh, play. Like it it can appeal to the ESG investor in in terms of the emerging markets. Okay, so we've talked to Ben and... Uh, bottled lightning with a big idea. Who's next? Next up, we have is uh, Michael Steele. Um, you, if Michael you watch Steele. MSNBC, you, yeah. he's on a lot. Um, he's the he used to be the chairman of the GOP, I believe. He was there with Donna Brazil doing this just sort of like political roundtable. Not for nothing, you got some names. I did. Uh, he was pretty easy. He came out after into the public sphere, and a lot of people were talking to him. And I just walked up real quick and asked them. I had to ask him about MAGA. And you know there's a MAGA ETF that invests in stocks that have heavy GOP donors? What do you think of that? Would you invest I, in it? I did not. I have to check that out. Really? I yeah. Mean, really? Cool. No, that's a real thing. That's yeah. a real thing? Yeah. God bless them. <laughs> is, it a, is it a good return? No, no it has no tech. That's Only not, industrials and energy industri- companies. Oh, okay. So yeah, without tech, because they don't, they don't donate to GOP. Ah, uh, gotcha. So gotcha, that's, right. that hurts, so, uh, you know, because tech does hurts, well. That tech, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, we got, look, we, we can have a better relationship with the tech community for sure. I mean, because I think a lot of the things that the tech community is concerned about, at least old, old school conservatives like myself right. would be there advocating to support them. But it's kind of hard these days, so. Dude didn't even know about MAGA. Yeah, he didn't know about it. I mean, it's a pretty small ETF, but um, you know, his reaction was, I think, interesting. You know, somebody who used to be uh, the GOP chairman—that is an interesting idea. That that would be the target market right there. Is somebody like that? It is also interesting that he understands why it wouldn't have tech, right? And it's so and that it's a problem. It, and and then it's a problem. I think that was just really interesting. And maybe someday, someday, MAGA will have overweight tech. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the day. Uh, and if you want to learn more about MAGA, uh, Rachel Evans did a great episode with us where she went and talked to the founder down in Texas, at what, what instigated the idea and how it's constructed. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ.
There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Okay, so the first guy that we talked to was Ben Johnson. You talked to him more than once. What yeah. Was, what was the next question that you asked him? I asked him about the. Uh, there was two big bombshell news. Uh, there was there's always somebody putting out news around the conference. Fidelity and Schwab, literally within an hour of each other, put out news that they were increasing the amount of ETFs you could trade for free. Because last year Vanguard said you can basically trade all of them, eighteen hundred, and everybody was just like, "Oh my god!" It was like a bombshell. And so now Fidelity and Schwab said, "Okay, we're going to up ours. Now you can trade five hundred for free." So I asked Ben about that and what he thought. I think the important point for investors is to understand that free is not free. That although it's a fantastic thing that fees have been compressed to near zero levels, there's a handful of funds that charge nothing, that commissions have gone away in the case of an ever larger list of ETFs, that the real risk here is that there are implicit costs that are hidden elsewhere. So I think the first place you should look is what are you earning on your cash account? What are you earning on your money market account? And how does that stack up relative to, say, an online savings account? Okay, so that's interesting. Yeah, again, you know, low-cost ETFs, low-cost, you know, free trading. There's a bit of a loss leader angle to this. They're trying to get you in to do other things. He made a good point that if you're doing free trading and using their platform and, and like, you have a cash account there, look at how much you're getting on that cash account and compare it elsewhere. That's one thing. The other thing is that ETFs that trade for free on Schwab and Fidelity, other places, they are pay to play. So a lot of those uh, issuers are giving them money to p- make them free trading. They're subsidizing that. And they, they pick the ETFs to push that they don't have as much assets. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times the ones that are free aren't the ones you, that might be most popular that you might want. So right. that's another thing to look out for. You know, another thing that I was wondering about, Eric, last year, uh, you had to go up on stage and make a pitch about something. Oh, God. You, you didn't do well. What? How'd you do this year? Not good. What I, happened? I don't know what it is. I and, wh- and what's the format? What are you guys, what are you doing? It's uh, it's basically called Battle of the Pundits, and yep. we all make a case for the best new ETF launch. We have two minutes. Somebody's assigned to rebut you for one minute, and then you have a 30-second response, and then the audience cheers. The cheering of the audience is, decides the winner. And I don't know. I was probably middle. Of the, I'm always middle of the pack. Um, what was your pick? What was your pony this year? I picked AAAU, a new gold ETF from Perth, and I picked it because it it's a uh, cheap, it's physically it's physically backed, it's backed by the Australian government. It's it just it's got a lot of features. It's low cost, and I really wanted to talk about how I think gold is misunderstood. So mm. I made the case for gold and the ETF. But who it, took you down? Uh, the person Dave uh, Nodig uh, uh. had me, and he his his the two things he said weren't that hard to overcome. But I just got a little flustered again. I was running on empty at that point because it was later in the yeah. conference. And uh, right afterwards, I was like, I had the two responses that have been perfect, but mm-hmm. uh, just didn't work out. And I think that's where I lost some points is responding to his rebuttal. I was just a little flustered. Uh, yeah, I was on my I was on my a back heels a little. Yeah, You're, so you were focused on getting interviews. But the highlight, obviously, was clearly Todd Rosenbluth did a actual rap. Really? Yeah, he did, he did he a win? quality ETF and he and he did a rap about we it. We gotta have Todd back on. It, it is hilarious. There is if you go to his. Uh, 
If you go to his Twitter account, he posted some video of it, and it's pretty much must-see TV. <laughs> yeah. When our top rated analytical team looks under the ETF hood, we think Boeing, Intel, Visa, and Walmart are still looking pretty good. This is where your audience can join in on this. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Matt Hogan won. He always wins. This guy could sell ice to Eskimos. I think he could win doing XIV. I think he'd go up there right now, do XIV, and beat all of us. I will say it is kind of like a home game for him. This is like playing Tom Brady at Gillette Stadium, okay? <laughs> uh, but he's he's just the reigning champ. He's the Tom Brady of this format, and I'm I'm good at other things, but I just this this particular format I just never feel comfortable. Well, you're good at asking people questions. What other <laughs> what other questions did you ask? Okay, so I didn't get to interview Michael Lewis per se, but I did turn the mic on when he was uh, speaking with Barry Ritholtz on stage. So this audio isn't quite as good, but there's two things I thought were interesting. The first was on, um, you know how he said the markets were rigged? He that basic- was a Flash Boys comment. Yeah. Barry just said, are they still? And he kind of doubled down a little bit. And here's what he said, which I thought this is kind of shocking. I mean, subsequently, I mean, I've just interviewed some SEC commissioners. They now say the markets are rigged. They will say it now. Back then they said, no, no, it couldn't possibly be. Um, so this, this shift inside the SEC, the shift inside the society, but at the time, um, there was, this is outrageous, scandalous, scandalous. Interesting because, A, the SEC admits it, and, I mean, are they doing anything? <laughs> um, B, what he talked about in Flash Boys, when he put the dollar amount, it resonated because he's like, look, this is tiny little fractions of cents. But if you add it up over the course of a year, he said it's between about $12 billion and $90 billion that go into these high-frequency trading pockets. And that is a lot. I mean, when, when you talk about, like, there was a study last year that $11 billion was spent on underperforming active managers, and I thought that was a lot. Mm. So this is a, much more than that. And so I do think it adds up. That said, I moderated a panel on trading, and a lot of the people on there, I said, what do you think of high-frequency trading? They said it's, it's actually more positive than, than negative because it does provide liquidity, it fills a lot of liquidity gaps, and they just think that twelve to ninety billion is just worth worth the, the cost, cost of I, business. Yeah. So anyway, interesting little side point. Now, he was also asked about what he invests in with his personal money, and uh, let's see what he says. How do you invest your money? Very simply, mm-hmm. uh, index funds. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? When I'm feeling kind of sexy, Berkshire Hathaway. So I actually knew he was going to say that because he's been quoted a couple times. So he's one of the people I call a celebrity indexer. They're people who are kind of famous. And he's probably one of the most compelling because here's a guy who has sniffed around all the sort of bowels of Wall Street and the financial system. And used to work on it. Yeah, and used to work on it. And that's where he puts his money. I can't think of a more ringing endorsement for index funds than him buying them. And Berkshire Hathaway... Uh, again, that's also on the flip side a little. I mean, Warren Buffett's arguably the most famous active manager, so it's not like he's all into index, but I thought his answer was pretty good. Okay, next up. Uh, Hector McNeil, who uh, runs an ETF issuer in, in Europe, he's uh, actually started up a few companies. He's a veteran in the industry. He was over from Europe, and there's a lot of buildup in Europe. People are like claiming yep, their Black stake. Black Rock likes yes. what it sees over there. Right? It's like a land grab. Yep. He talked about the European ETF market a little. I thought it was interesting. We're based in London, okay. as usual. Yeah. Pretty much uh, no further than 200 metres from every other business that we've uh, set up so far. But we believe that, uh, personally, we believe Europe's where the growth is. Because, I mean, you look at the US, it's $4 trillion of assets. Europe's $800 billion. Europe's one and a half times the population than the US, similar uh, wealth demographic. 
we're probably five or seven years behind. Europe's still less than 10% in passives as well, whereas, you know, you're 40% here. Yeah. So you can see how the, you know, the US will probably go to six, seven trillion in ETFs, you know, where Europe, you know, will probably get to two or three trillion. So the growth is there for me. So here's a guy who is talking about the European market. Very optimistic over there. Again, it's way lower than the U.S. There's some, I don't know, artificial barriers with brokers and, you know, not switching to the fee base. But I'll get into the de- details. But I think, look, Europe reminds me of the ETFs are a technology. And a good technology usually just breaks down the walls eventually. And I think that's what everyone's thinking. So there is a European in- inside ETFs. But it was interesting to see somebody from Europe here sort of, you know, uh, making connections. Working on the ground game. Uh-huh. We got, we got to work on our ground game. We got to do a Europe episode. And by the Road way, trip. well, you know, Tom Serafagus, mm-hmm. this is public now. He's moving to no. London. Yeah. He will be heading up the ETF wow. European we can totally coverage. do this. I know. We'll know he's officially entrenched when he says smart beta. Beta. Do you think people over there will understand how to pronounce his name better than they do here? I still can't say his first name. No. I, I, I got his last name down. I'm Serafagus. Yeah. My goal for his first name is by end of this year. So we have two more? Yeah, two more. So let's go to um, Alex Moazid. Hopefully I didn't butcher his name, but- I think you did. I never met him before. Here's a guy who wrote a book, and he is basically taking his book, made an index out of the concept in the book, and now he's running around looking What's for- the book? He'll tell us about it. I'm going to launch a ETF based on platform and marketplace business models in the next few months. And I'm here to learn about the ETF landscape and who the different players are and how this whole industry works. And what's the premise of the ETF? Like, how did it come about? It, the, the ETF is based on a book I published in 2016 called Modern Monopolies, and it's all about how these platform business models really control every major vertical in the economy. There has been a couple ETFs born from books. Um, but this one's, uh, you know, interesting. And again, uh, I think this is the kind of thing if you're... Look, if you're picking stocks and you have a new way to do it, it's a little bit of an uphill battle. The large cap stock picking smart beta area is pretty crowded. That said, if you can capture the imagination, like if that phrase, what was it, market monopolies? Yeah. You know, if if that's the right phrase that just sears through the noise, um, he could have a hit on his hands. But, you know, again, here's somebody out there. You think about platforms, right? You think like Spotify or an Apple or a Netflix and you put all those together and overweight those things like whoa that could be really interesting yeah look the robotics etf when it came out yeah i mean robotics wasn't that big of a word when it came out so uh if platform you know you never know what's just gonna like rise up above the noise and capture imagination or just like hidden in plain sight yeah having that little lens right there unfortunately the odds are for these small issuers that the product will kind of fail uh rude awakening yeah well again i read a stat that 99 percent of apps you know, never make it. Only 1% survive. So in the ETF industry, in the small space, the thematic ETFs, the percentage is a little higher, but it's similar to that. Drum roll, last one. So I also spoke to Shelly Antonia Wicks from the Investment Company Institute. She's an economist there. She does a lot of great research. And I just asked her about mutual funds because a lot of people focus obviously on ETFs here. Mutual funds tend to be sort of um, I don't know the, other, the cousin that's forgotten about. Yeah, and some charts show how they've lost money, and it's a little bit of a you know um, tribal situation for ETFs and against mutual funds. But I just I, I thought it'd be cool to end on the fact that even though all this stuff is going on at the ETF industry, um, you know mutual funds are alive and well; they're far from going anywhere. And uh, so I, I decided to ask her about that. I, 
I think that everybody looks at the J-curve growth of ETS and just extrapolates that, and that's not going to be the case. There is always going to be a role for mutual funds and ETFs. There are investors who are mutual fund investors that will never move over to the ETF space, and maybe they shouldn't. You need to take on the responsibility of trading that ETF, and if you're not comfortable with that secondary market trading and how the equity markets work, the mutual fund might be where you want to be. It's where your comfort zone is. And also um, ETFs, you know, in the 401k space, tax efficiency doesn't matter. It's uh, broke. You need brokerage windows. It's not necessarily a, a fit for, you know, mutual funds. They're a great fit for the 401k space. So they're not going away. I mean, these two things are going to coexist for years, 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 decades. Yeah. Also, mutual Continue. funds... Mutual funds incorporate index funds, and they take in a lot of money. They took in, I don't know, maybe $200 billion last year. Um, so they're passive. So inside mutual funds is passive in a way. Um, and the 401k argument was very strong. ETFs, you ever see Superman 2? Of course. When he goes into that box and he loses his powers, that box is the 401k market to the ETF. Just does not have it, power. It, it, all its superpowers go away because yeah. you don't need to intraday trade. The tax efficiency goes away. You can get cheap uh, institutional classes because a 401k market can pool the money together. Mm-hmm. So the cost issue goes away. Mm-hmm. And actually, you can actually rack up more costs because of buying, um, you have to pay the spread every time you buy the ETF. So the 401k market just doesn't really make any sense for ETFs. So the mutual funds definitely have that. But again, their asset growth has come from market returns, and that's been great. So they've taken in, on average, $600 billion a year just on the stock market going up, even though they lost, on average, $100 billion a year. So again, they're not going anywhere, but the organic growth is definitely a problem for especially active mutual funds. And just to come full circle, active was a big conversation here. Um, there's a lot more uh, optimism about active ETFs, non-transparent active ETFs, which is, we should do an episode on at some point down the Ooh, road. I like that one. And a lot of the traditional active funds that you love and know are all there now, right? You know, you've got Fidelity was there; they have a booth. You know, so you know it's very much all together at this point. I think a lot of these funds. And uh, Shelley reiterated this. They look at the ETF as just another distribution vehicle. I'm sure they wouldn't like this to happen because the ETF makes them less money. But at the end of the day, it's another distribution vehicle. Look, you know, if you're a musician, you want my music in a CD, you want it in vinyl, or you want it through iTunes. Um, you know, I don't care as long as you're listening to it. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you'd like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. Trillions is produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast. Bye. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash businessgoldcard.